0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hello! This is Joya Italiano. This
0: is Jeff Ekman.
1: And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies.
0: Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics.
1: That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff, but this stuff is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go! Here
1: we go! Ooh, it's so thick... That was a thick clack.
0: Thick clack for a thick glass. That's
1: right. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're on the edge of tomorrow.
0: Yay! I'm very <laughs> excited. I love this movie.
1: It was a lot of fun, man. I was so mismarketed.
0: Yeah, it, like everybody overlooked this, but then it was like on everybody's best movies you missed this yeah. year lists. And...
1: far more charming than anybody could have anticipated because when dude, we just watched the trailer again and it was like SnoozeFest twenty. 20- 14 Yeah,
0: 2014. Okay, that's when yeah. It was, released. it was the trailer really doesn't seem to do it much justice to how fun it is. So get ready and take a listen to that.
1: Yeah, take a nap.
0: I'm going to tell you a story. At first, it's going to sound ridiculous. But the longer I talk, We have to find the keys. The more rational it's going to appear. How many times have we been here? How many times? For me, it's been an eternity how did you do that come on come find me when you wake up you hijacked their power how do i control it you have to die every day keep coming here and i'll train you
1: they want to conquer the rest of the world
0: unless you change the outcome
1: how many times have we been here Welcome back. Are you awake? No, just Yeah.
0: Are you still alive?
1: This was just one of those where they try to make it way so intense, and there are way so intense ideas and concepts in it, but it doesn't take itself nearly as seriously, which is why it's so delightful. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's basically like a guy who's afraid of combat ends up on storming the Beaches of Normandy on repeat. W- yeah, it mixed with Groundhog Day, and yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. Didn't
1: somebody say it was a combo of Groundhog Day and Starship Troopers? That's yeah, which sum- I think
0: is pretty accurate. Yeah, except
1: for Starship Troopers sucked balls, didn't it? Or well, didn't people, I mean, People, it people, depend- like it?
0: people it's oh, wait, a cult. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Hit.
1: I for a second got that mistaken with Battlefield Earth. Which, okay, whoa, whoa. similar yeah, that's time a whole... frame, right? They came out at the same time, but vastly different. Well, in Battlefield
0: there. Earth is like a Scientology movie,
1: right? But just Travolta. in a bad.
0: Yeah, widely movie. considered to be the worst. But <laughs> this movie did so poorly that they changed the name of it in the DVD release to Live, Die, Repeat. So what? it's like, yeah. So it's it Just w- like
1: under the radar, like, that's not what it was called.
0: Yeah. So, like, on the cover of the DVD and stuff, it's like Live, Die, Repeat. And then in like small font, Edge of Tomorrow.
1: <laughs> oh, God. It's a little innuendo, little afterthought. Yeah. Well, it was cool because the, the movie's based on this novel by Hiroshi Sakurazaka and he got the idea from from video gaming and the idea of that you know you if you die you can just reset the mm-hmm. game over and over again and I, you get the sense when you watch that you're yeah, kinda the like movie what feels if you like a game. learn from your mistakes although what would be nice is if you could like learn whilst you go, instead of having to be like, God damn it, we have to go back to that same yeah, spot. Yeah, I know. It's like
0: there's no like new save points. Right, exactly. No auto save for it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, It's like
1: you have to find the you gotta save you got to find point. the save
0: point, and then... But
1: they play with that, though. That's what's cool about it. Is he's like, oh, God, yeah, can we get this going like, a
0: little we, bit faster? Oh, I want to get back to that part of the day, and they're yeah. like, i got to just live through all this. Uh-huh. God damn it. Bill Paxton, get out of my face. <laughs> but yeah, I guess Brad Pitt turned down the role. That was a detail that I, mm. I thought was interesting. What was he
1: doing at that time?
0: I, who cares? Yeah, just moving and shaking. How dare you, I, everybody should care. Everybody kidding. should care about Brad. Uh-huh. It's from the director of Swingers, Go, The First Born movie, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and and other movies.
1: Okay, all right. See, that makes sense. Uh huh. Uh
0: Yeah, and it's written by the guy who wrote and directed Mission Impossible 5 and wrote a ton of other really good movies, including The Usual Suspects.
1: You know, I was thinking while we were watching this, because you always have to remind yourself what a delight Tom Cruise is. I I know he's been iffy for a lot of people, but once he's kind of like, he's eased up off the, you know, he's not jumping on Oprah's couch left, right, and sideways anymore. (laughs) Well, you kind of remember what a just charmer he is a movie star he's a he's movie star and I feel star. like we should probably do Mission Impossible because I don't honestly think oh, yeah. I've ever seen Mission Impossible starring Tom Cruise any I th- of them I don't believe I've seen any of them sir oh, perhaps the first one when it came out but that
0: was wow
1: everyone loves Tom we yeah. can get that out of the way Science.
0: Let's talk a little bit about some crazy military technologies.
1: I'm down with that.
0: Well, because like, we all know that there's exoskeletons out there in the military is building that. I did read about a new one called TALOS, which stands for Tactical Assault Light Operator Suit. Ooh. It's described as the Iron Man suit, except it can't fly. So it's bulletproof. (laughs) Really,
1: really clever trademark. Uh, (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. It's it's bulletproof, monitors vital signs. It gives like night vision and all that kind of stuff. And there isn't really much more to say about it except that we're turning our soldiers into Iron Men. And in the long timeline of warfare from the Roman Legion to the Talos suit, we're clearly just trying to make people into indestructible killing machines.
1: And it's like we've been all about that for so long, at least in our fiction. And it's Mm -hmm. like that all seemed like... But the workings of imagination before we yeah. actually have the technology to make it happen. And now we're like surprised that people are <laughs> yeah, making it. Yeah, it's like it.
0: mech suits. Like, why wouldn't we build so those? So
1: are they like practically being applied right now?
0: It is supposed to be rolled out to soldiers starting next year. Holy smokes. And so they've got the suit. It's ready to roll. And they're, they're probably pretty heavy, no? I think that they're... I mean, it's tactical assault light operator. Oh, uh, <laughs> L-I-T-E? <laughs> no, no, it's not like... No calories. Crystal light? No.
1: Well, the reason I ask is because Emily Blunt, I think, was complaining about even just their exosuits in the movie. They were like 85 pounds and she wasn't expecting that. But yeah. So that would just just the training alone of being able to wear it.
0: So a completely different military tech is this thing called quantum stealth. It's a crazy technology that's basically an invisibility cloak. Ooh. it takes light from behind you and bends it around you so that someone who's looking at you just sees what's behind you okay so it's not even like it's projecting right. an image that's behind you to the front mm. it's actually bending the light waves that's around you crazy yeah and like seeing images of this in action are is really creepy it kind of looks like the predator when the predator is invisible. Totally. Where, where you like can kind of see that something's right. off about this area, but it's also like if you weren't looking for it, then you wouldn't notice.
1: I, my brain goes to reptile in Mortal Kombat, although that like uh-huh. not very good '90s CG, where you're like, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. see the lines. It, it's it's it looks a lot like that. And that's pretty cool, though. it kind of creates, like, a mesh screen look. Right. But it obscures the person and only shows what's behind it. But, like, if you're looking for the mesh screen, that's kind of, like, the equivalent of seeing the weird CG.
1: Right, right. Seeing the zipper on the yeah. old <laughs> alien monster there. <laughs> exactly. That's interesting. Because what, would you use that in... Warfare, right? Yeah, just, you'd like, use it to like sneak
0: up on people to like. There's a bunch of different possible applications for a fucking invisibility cloak. God, yeah, but mostly they're looking at it for warfare right now. Yeah, <laughs> Start pranking there. your friends, maybe down the line.
1: <laughs> just scare tactics. <laughs>
0: yeah, I cool. also read about this thing called the active denial system, which is basically like a portable microwave. Wow. So it's like a heat ray. Where from far away, they transmit an electromagnetic radiation beam that creates a burning sensation on the skin. So it can heat a person's skin to 130 degrees from a distance of 500 yards. It's controversial, of course. (laughs) And people are saying it might be used in addition to things like tear gas or water cannons for non-lethal crowd control. Interesting. But there's a lot of people who are like, it's torture.
1: Right. You're
0: burning people's skin off. This isn't good. Uh, is that, that's what people say. That's what people say. Uh,
1: and, and yet it's like, it's more sophisticated. Is it more outlandish than shooting someone with a gun? You know, like having something propel yeah, an object. Yeah, like a rubber so- bullet. Yeah, or just anything. It's just like, I, I suppose like as weapons become more sleek or more, mm-hmm. it seems like just not, is it cruel? Is it more cruel? I don't know. I don't, that's yeah. what I'm trying to work through right now. Like
0: Humane ways of killing, <laughs> killing people and dispersing yeah. crowds. Science.
1: Speaking of non-lethal methods, <laughs> let's yeah. get to that. I was reading about uh, Emily Blunt while she was preparing for her role in this movie. She was tutored in the Israeli self-defense system of Krav Maga. I'm sure Ooh. there's a much like you know more delightful way of saying that, but. I'm I've always
0: heard to... it as Krav Maga. Really?
1: See, I would never even heard it. I yeah. didn't even know it was Krav... a thing, so I'm learning.
0: Mega Mega make, it, make it great Because
1: it looks like it could be like Krav Maga. Krav Maga, like, you know. <laughs>
0: Maga. Hey, Maga. Krav Magoo.
1: Anyway. Anyway, the history of Krav Maga. <laughs> it means contact combat in Hebrew. Oh. Contact combat. Huh. Yeah. Krav Maga is traced to pre-World War II Czechoslovakia, which is present-day Slovakia, to a young Jewish athlete named Imi Lichtenfeld. He was this uh, nationally and internationally renowned boxer, wrestler, and gymnast, and beginning in the mid-1930s, various fascist and anti-Semitic groups rose to power in Czechoslovakia and began inflicting violence on Jewish communities. And so he organized a group of young men to patrol his community, so he decided to start, like, synthesizing his different martial arts knowledge and started placing an emphasis on attacks that quickly disabled and neutralized a threat. Hmm. So by 1942, he decided to head to Palestine to join Haganah, which was a pre-Israel Jewish paramilitary organization. And their mission was to protect Jewish settlers from locals who did not welcome the new arrivals. So the Israeli military then put Imi in charge of training the military's elite fighting forces, including the Palmak, which is... Do you know any of these? Palmak and Polyam? Uh. Yeah, Palmak is apparently the elite strike force. The Polyam is their marine commandos, and then the Haganah, which is that paramilitary organization. So then after Israel got statehood in 1948, all of those forces that were fighting separately, they merged into the Israel Defense Forces, the IDF. Hmm. And that's where Lichtenfeld was, he was named Chief Instructor of Physical Fitness at the IDF School of Combat Fitness. So then that's when he started developing this new Krav Maga.
0: I just assumed the Krav Maga was like an ancient technique. Right. I didn't realize it was literally within the last 100 years. Totally.
1: And I didn't really know anything about it, but it's just interesting to think like this guy already had these different bases of knowledge, you know, these other schools of martial arts, and because of you know, need and out of necessity was like, dude, I need to learn how to teach people quick. Cause that was the whole thing is like, it basically combines the most effective techniques of boxing, Aikido, Judo, wrestling, and Jiu Jitsu into a single discipline. And it emphasizes continuous motion, simultaneous defense and attack and attacks to an assailant's soft tissue and pressure points. So that's why like Muay Thai has started to incorporate some things. Have Hmm. you ever seen Muay Thai? The drink? No, not a Mai Thai, you fucker. I don't know what you're oh talking about. My God. Oh, I'm going to punch you in the nose. No. Muay Thai, it's, it's, it's a way of fighting. Oh. I assume it's Thai. <laughs> I hope so. Oh, my God. Well, no, because I went through a phase, but I was like, I really like cardio kickboxing. I want to learn a self defense f- thing. My, my brother had done jujitsu, which uh-huh. is like fully based on self defense and like, you know, utilizing people's pressure points, but like, they're going to cause damage to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's about, like stopping someone from hurting you as opposed to Muay Thai which is about like kicking someone as fucking hard as you can in right. their ligaments and you want to cause as much damage as possible.
0: Right because some are just defensive techniques. Yeah. Some are only offensive.
1: And that's what's crazy is I was like I want to become a Muay Thai fighter and then I actually watched a video and I was like I, I don't want anything to do with this. This is <laughs> barbaric. My god. Like your, your shins have to develop so much like, callous or, like, just oh, wear no. and tear because you're just using your shin bones to inflict as much, po- like, damage as possible. Wow. Yeah, so... <laughs> Imagine
0: you could just break your own leg.
1: Yeah! I was like, no, nah, I don't want it. So yeah. Krav
0: Maga is, like, the ultimate fighting technique?
1: It basically is. Here are the, the basic principles... The idea is to neutralize the threat. You're supposed to dominate and incapacitate the attacker as soon as possible. And in that way, anything goes, right? So you're supposed to just kind of keep it simple with strikes, holds, and blocks. It's this idea of simultaneous defense and attack. If they go for your throat, you'd not only try to deflect the attack, but you also might simultaneously counterattack by going for their eyes, groin, or throat. Mm. There's something called retsev, which uh, is a Hebrew. That's the Holy
0: Trinity, the eyes, groin, and throat.
1: I'm sure that's the sound you make. I'm sure that's the sound you make. That's the Krav Maga
0: (laughs) patented sound effect.
1: Just slicing air. (laughs) <laughs> so retsev is a Hebrew word that means seamless explosion of violence yeah it's so in, in some ways it's basically like anything goes you're trying to neutralize somebody and even if you're focusing on vur- vulnerable soft tissues and shit it's essentially like when you're being violently attacked in the street the person is that is attacking you is not like abiding by some sportsman's code of show, right, 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 right so no, at like that the point you're like the fencing rules yeah. state that
0: in the streets you must take three steps backwards exactly
1: yeah the idea that someone's fucking attacking you and like beating the shit out of you you're Mm. not gonna be like boo i don't want to kick below the belt that's just out of bounds
0: the ref would have a real issue with that
1: yeah so i mean then so it's the the idea of that combined with just trying to subvert subvert any attacks through blocking and stuff i just thought it was fucking cool and it also tells you fucking the fact that this was a thing as a result of you know anti-semites like beating up on jews it's sort of like yeah man anything goes at that point You know, you can understand, especially after statehood, it's kind of like a never again scenario. Let's
0: make sure everybody's trained. I'm going to kick you in the balls. (laughs) (laughs) If only we had known to kick them in the balls in
1: 1935. Krav Maga.
0: Well, on the subject of like safety and, and self-defense and stuff, mm-hmm. I was looking into this interesting type of digital revolver. Oh. So it's called the Armatix digital revolver. It's basically a pistol with a digital safety mechanism. So the safety is always on except when the owner of the gun is holding it. Okay. So the owner wears like a special watch, which uses fingerprint technology, and it unlocks the gun and makes it so that only the owner can fire the gun. So it can't be used against the owner, and it can't be used if it's stolen. Okay. I mean, it's unlikely that this type of gun will catch on in illegal circles, mm-hmm. because you why would they want that? They might want to be able to grab a gun and quickly use it Precisely. if they need. Yeah. But I was thinking about like how much it would suck if a burglar broke in, and you go to grab your gun, and it's out of battery. And right. you're
1: like, fuck. Right. Of course, like with every new... You know, technological advancement. Then there's that, like, fuck God, I just want to. All right,
0: hang on. Let me let me charge it to five percent.
1: I'm sure the NRA would have lots to say about that. Just like anything that would limit people from just using guns (laughs) at any time. Yeah.
0: But yeah, but it's like, I would like w- that. Is every gun of the future gonna have this? Yeah, exactly. That would be ridiculous. The
1: phase out of I, I think that's ultimately what it is because you would probably want that regulated or that would be like a rule or mm-hmm. regulation involved in getting any new guns. And that's where I could see people being like, No, you're right. putting any restraints on my second amendment rights <laughs> and yeah. it's like, no, this is trying to <laughs> save lives, trying to make it yeah. good for everybody. And also like with anything like yeah my car it lights up when it knows I'm walking towards it but if somebody else wants to steal my car unless they're just gonna bust the window Mm -hmm. and do it old school then
0: yeah I mean it's the Judge Dread Gun which in in that movie like (laughs) it like imprints his DNA on the bullets so that you know who fired it and stuff
1: yeah it's fucking cool
0: I have some stuff on some crazy soldiers through history. Okay. Let me start by saying there's these celebrity badass soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I looked into a few of these. There's examples of like Jimmy Stewart took a break from acting to go bomb the Germans. Steve Buscemi worked as a 9-11 rescue firefighter. He did? Yep. Sweet. But then I found out that Bob Ross oh, man. spent 20 years screaming his lungs out as a first sergeant for the United States Air Force and i was like we got to talk about this
1: whoa
0: cuz apparently he was like the guy who makes you scrub the latrine, makes you make your bed, the guy who screams at you for being late to work what you know happy little soldiers and like Ugh. he <laughs> he eventually left the military apparently because he was forced to be a mean tough person and he was fed up with it
1: doesn't it make so much sense though that yeah. he's just like i can't take this life
0: and he but goes to be the most happen? gentle person in
1: the world.
0: Yeah. Like the the article I read said, so there you have it. All those gentle drawings of fluffy clouds and serene landscapes actually stemmed from two decades of rage, anger and hatred. I was
1: going to say, it was like, that's his like treatment for his fucking PTSD, man. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. What an amazing life. Where is Bob Ross's biopic? Hollywood. I know. Hollywood. <laughs>
0: get on it. Get I mean, yeah. on who, it. Who knew that he had spent 20 years like he in had the an military. entire
1: other life yeah. and then he was like, I want to make people feel better about everything. Yeah. I'm going yeah. Yeah, to exactly. inspire millions to paint, find the joy of painting.
0: Find the joy of painting. Okay. There's this guy who was known as Mad Jack Churchill. He was one of the most badass dudes in war history. He was the last man in the world to get a confirmed kill with a longbow. Oh boy. He is the only man with a longbow kill and bagpipes who fought in World War II. Alright. So yeah, in World, to put it another way. <laughs> to, in World War II. In World War Two in Norway, his, his, as his landing craft opened, he leapt forward playing March of the Cameron Man on his bagpipes before throwing a grenade and running into battle, eventually earning the military cross and bar for his actions. He first used his archery and bagpipe skills in a nineteen twenty four movie called The Thief of Baghdad.
1: Oh man.
0: And he, he always went into battle with a Scottish broadsword, a longbow and arrows, and his bagpipes.
1: <laughs> a real life hero.
0: Yeah. Eventually, in World War II, he was captured by the Germans. And apparently, while playing the song, Will Ye No Come Back Again, on his bagpipes.
1: Do you know how that goes? That's
0: and, awesome. And he was sent to a concentration camp. And then at one point in the concentration awesome. camp, he right, he made an escape, which included like crawling under wires and through abandoned drains. And then after escaping, he tried to just walk to the Baltic coast. He was recaptured by the Germans after walking 50 miles and oh was sent God. back to the concentration camp. At the end of the war, when the Germans abandoned his camp, he walked 93 miles to Italy, where he found an American armored force. And after having learned that, like, the U.S. had dropped the bomb on Japan, effectively ending the war, he said, if it wasn't for those damn yanks, we could have kept the war going another 10 years.
1: Oh, I'm sure he said it just like that in right. that voice. Oh, <laughs> like, man.
0: he This guy is.
1: Whoa. He was just, like, war hungry. War
0: hungry. I mean, think about it. He went in with a sword and longbow and bagpipes in right. World War II. Yeah. Like.
1: There are just warriors, man. Like, you could understand. Not that I'm like, I'm a expert on war, but it's like at some point you've seen stuff that you can't unsee. There's no ever going back to just like true, regular life. Right. I can see how you could get just... I'm going, man. I'm jumping off the fucking edge. Yeah,
0: he's definitely like that guy that's portrayed in movies that you assume doesn't really exist. Right. Yeah, but I mean, he sounds totally like a cartoon him. character,
1: but you're like, some of this shit's based on something.
0: Yeah. I mean, apparently after <laughs> he retired, he would startle train conductors and passengers by throwing his briefcase out the train window every day. Nobody understood like why he was doing this. Later on, he claimed that he was throwing the case into his own backyard so that he wouldn't have to carry it from the station.
1: Yeah. But by that point, you're like, do whatever you want, man. Right.
0: Well, it's so crazy. Like, this guy should have died in the war, by all accounts.
1: Right. It's like he wanted to.
0: But he died in 1996. What? At the age of 89.
1: Excuse
0: me? Yes. Mad Jack Churchill.
1: Dude.
0: I mean, what a guy.
1: What a guy. I mean, I don't know. Do we know? Was he a good guy? I mean, was that... I mean,
0: how good of a guy could he have been if he's, like, wanting to murder people Right, it's not like I'm sitting here being like, he was
1: a real... I really respect that guy. Right.
0: But it's stuff like him and the Red Baron, who was, like, the famous... German fighter pilot in World War One who held the record for like the most aircraft shot down. Wow. Like there's these people, these individual soldiers in history who kind of like rose mm-hmm. because of their badassery.
1: Right? Did they become the Top Gun?
0: It, ooh. Science.
1: Well, we were talking about World War II and such. And yeah, yep. even in this film, Operation Downfall is the name of the, their like planned invasion. Yeah, they, their Normandy
0: keeps, invasion. Yeah,
1: exactly. Operation Downfall just so happens to be the name of the Allied plan for the invasion of Japan near the end of World War II. Now, of Mm. course, that was canceled as a result of Japan surrendering following the the bombings of Nagasaki and Uh, Hiroshima and also, obviously, Soviet Union's declaration of war against Japan. But it was cool to, like, read into this hypothetical war, like, just the idea of planning for an invasion that never actually came to fruition. So the invasion was supposed to consist of two different parts. There was Operation Olympic, which was set to begin in October 1945, and that was intended to capture the southern third of the southern... Um, <laughs> the southern third of the southernmost main, The southern... <laughs> the southern third of the... Southernmost main Japanese island of Kyushu, and they wanted to establish air bases there that would allow them to then move forward for another operation called Operation Coronet, which was supposed to happen in the spring of 1946. And basically, they decided on these these particular areas because they were the only like uh-huh. practically invadable areas, and so they decided that. They like an invasion needed to happen. Now, mm-hmm. at the time, the development of the atomic bomb was very closely guarded and only known to a few top officials outside so of the Manhattan Project. So this was like Project.
0: planned without knowing that the bomb exactly. was about to drop?
1: Exactly. Okay. But could you imagine, like, being the planners of this, having no idea that something so catastrophic was about yeah. to happen? The planners' primary considerations were how to make them surrender as quickly as possible, and it was interesting to see that, like, the U.S. Navy and the Army were kind of going back and forth as to how to deal with it. So, like, the Navy wanted to capture air bases in, like, Shanghai and China and Korea, and the Army, on the other hand, wanted to, argue, like, wanted to say that that would prolong war, essentially, so mm-hmm. that they needed to just invade. Interesting. And again... All the while the Manhattan Project is being developed. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Quietly so.
0: the doomsday machine is
1: Yeah, exactly. So then of course in August of nineteen forty five the US dropped the atomic bomb and there was an unconditional surrender. But like they had initially predicted that if they would have done the invasion thing that there would be a ton of casualties because they were also operating under the assumption that, you know, not only are are they facing the Japanese military, but also like an extremely hostile populace, right? So they they thought they were going to be facing a bunch of like pissed off Japanese folks. I'm sure they would have been. Yeah. I think that's where my brain goes too. of. The things you fucking take into account when you're estimating like, well, this military action we're gonna do, how many yeah. people are gonna die? Well, give or take a couple of million if people an are mad. Acceptable loss. Yeah. And then and, and like utilizing other conflicts as a means of predicting this kind of thing. Mm. It's like taking the image of like, you know, a football team being like, Okay, you're gonna go over here and that's gonna <laughs> result. But being like, Well, from like, for example, Battle of Normandy cost sixty three thousand casualties in the first forty eight days. That was the, the cost. Yeah, the, the Battle of Okinawa ran it's they say ran up 72,000 casualties over about 82 days. You know, the entire war... 72,000
0: casualties.
1: It's insane. The entire war cost the United States a total of just over 400,000 fatalities. This was another bizarro thing about this Japan invasion. Nearly 500,000 Purple Heart medals were manufactured in anticipation of the casualties resulting from the invasion of Japan. What? Like, doesn't that add an extra bit of like, you fucking... Like, we have to cover our bases because we know how many young boys are going to be fucking... You know, and it's like, it is a real, it's it's a reality yeah, of war. Yeah, well,
0: it, it's the kind of thing of like, would you rather be prepared with doctors for the casualties or right. would you be like, we're not going to have any casualties. Right, but so when you're talking about shouldn't...
1: manufacturing metals for dead yeah. bodies, basically.
0: To... Well, Purple Heart is for a survivor. For, right, 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 yeah. sorry. Those kinds of like preparations that, make sense but also feel bad are fascinating to me
1: i think that's what it is it's i'm not saying that that like what's the alternative that you just don't prepare at all and you're like sorry i don't have a purple heart for you but it's it is a thing that you would hope that humans would be like maybe there shouldn't be any more war right sucks right because like
0: just another example of that was in 1969 when we landed on the moon there was a speech written for richard nixon to say if we couldn't get them off the moon so there's, oh, like, an alternate right, sure. speech that was, like, these men knew the sacrifice, and, right. like, it's, like, they were prepared for every possible contingency. Sure. And even though it's kind of, like, wow, are you being real pessimistic by yeah. even entertaining this idea? It's, like, in- no, you have idea? to be
1: realistic, yeah. but... I mean, just to even kind of put it in context, talking about these 500,000 Purple Heart medals, to the present date, all the American military casualties of the 60 years following the end of World War II, including Korean and Vietnam wars, have not exceeded that number. So they were still planning on that. They knew that it was going to be upwards of 500,000 people that would at least get that, let alone the millions of people that would die on both sides. So
0: they expected more deaths in that one thing than we've had in all military conflicts since, including Vietnam.
1: In 2003, there were still 120,000 of those Purple Heart medals in stock.
0: Whoa! <laughs> in uh, stock. Have they been three week shipping? Have they made new Purple Hearts? Do you know since then, or See, are that's they what just been sure. like drawing down from that?
1: I find it highly hard to believe, right? That since then, well, 500,000 minus 120,000, like there's got to have been more than that handed out. I don't know.
0: You said there was like 120,000 left, left, right? Left in
1: 2003. So it's 2017 now. Right. So, I, I don't know. So but
0: pre-Iraq war. But, right. But, you know, I but mean... But, yeah,
1: like, exactly. I just... I don't my know.
0: My grandfather was supposed to get one of those Purple Hearts. Really? And then he said that he just didn't feel like waiting in line. <laughs> he, like, had a piece of shrapnel in his ankle, and if, he, like, deserved a Purple Heart, but he was like, fuck it.
1: If you kind of get to that point, too, where you're boiling it down, you're like, what is this? It's a symbol. And yes, we all acknowledge it's right. a symbol, but, like, do I need it? Yeah, I <laughs> guess
0: it just wasn't meaningful enough to right. him, but, yeah, he... He could have had one of those purple hearts. crazy. So the movie starts with the idea that an asteroid lands on Earth carrying these hostile aliens. Mm -hmm. And there's a crazy example of an asteroid hitting the Earth, luckily in a sparsely populated region of northern Russia in 1908. Mm -hmm. It's called the Tunguska event. And the asteroid never actually impacted the Earth, because it entered the atmosphere at such a high speed, it actually exploded in the sky causing a shockwave a thousand times stronger than an atomic bomb. Yikeronis. Yeah. It knocked people off their feet, broke windows hundreds of miles away... There were photos from 1927 because it took them a really long time to actually like get to the center of this right. such a remote area. But the photos that were taken in 1927 show like a forest as far as you, the eye can see, just plowed over, where all of the trees were like broken at the base and flattened. Oh my god! And they're all like in one direction, so you can really like feel it's like holy shit. I mean, <laughs> they knocked over an entire forest. Apparently, it knocked over at least 80 million trees over an area of 830 square miles.
1: Jesus Christ, man.
0: So this is a huge explosion that happened. Let me read one of the eyewitness reports. At breakfast time, I was sitting by the house at the Vanavara Trading Post, which is about 40 miles south of the explosion. Mm -hmm. I suddenly saw that directly to the north, over Onkol's Tunguska Road, the sky split in two and fire appeared high and wide above the forest. The split in the sky grew larger and the entire northern side was covered with fire. At that moment, I became so hot, I couldn't bear it, as if my shirt was on fire. From the northern side, where the fire was, came strong heat. I wanted to tear off my shirt and throw it down, but the sky shut closed, and a strong thump sounded, and I was thrown a few meters away. Oh my god. I lost my senses for a moment, and then my wife ran out and and led me to the house. After that, such noise came, as if rocks were falling or karanins were firing, the earth shook... And when I was on the ground, I pressed my head down, fearing rocks would smash it. When the sky opened up, the hot wind raced between the houses, which left traces in the ground like pathways, and it damaged some crops. Later, we saw that many windows were shattered, and in the barn, part of the iron lock had snapped.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: I mean, some of the other oral histories are equally insane and worth reading. It's like this event that happened, and they were like, what? occurred here
1: i can't believe he survived that
0: i know to be able
1: to be like in like in witnessing view of
0: it 40 miles away yeah because other things describe it as like a column of fire that like appeared for like 10 minutes so it's like coming down over the sky in like a streak of flames Mm -hmm. and then eventually reaches to the point where it like explodes mm-hmm. from the pressures and just knocked over houses and yeah. forests and and if that had happened in like a populated area of the earth which there's no reason why like we just happened to get lucky mm-hmm. it would completely destroy a city.
1: Did they have any kind of weird radiation afterwards or anything like the the fact that he had all of that heat like did he suffer from any burns or did you did you see anything like that? It was
0: basically that like he suddenly felt incredibly hot and right. wanted to rip his shirt off and was like oh my god what's happening? right but But as soon as the event ended mm -hmm. I wasn't
1: sure like with some kind of asteroid like that like if there's any if it releases shit that's gonna like
0: because it's not an actual nuclear reaction it didn't have the nuclear bomb radiation element but or at least like I don't know it was 1908 yeah those people might have wound up with higher rates of cancer, right. and we never knew.
1: Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, I haven't seen any big yeah. asteroid hits in my life, so I didn't know like what what really does happen to this the. This was air the after
0: largest like recorded asteroid hit ever on That's Earth. That's crazy. Yeah, That's recorded because the right sixty five million years ago, a- dinosaur asteroid yeah, was exactly. probably a bit bigger. Science.
1: Okay, so I was reading about the book, All You Need Is Kill. Is that Do we think that's a weird loss in translation thing, or is that...
0: I don't know. It was supposed to be called that. I actually read that the producer, talk to, talking about changing the title, said that, I think the word kill in a title is very tricky in today's world. I don't know that people want to be opening the newspaper and seeing that word. We see enough of it in real newspaper headlines, and I don't think we need to see it when we're looking at a movie. Mm. So he changed it to Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. And that did not go so well for everybody. That's an
1: interesting thought process. Mm-hmm. Just like seeing the word kill. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You're like, but then they later changed have it kill. to live. Live die, die repeat. <laughs> it, well,
0: die is fine.
1: Yeah. It's passive. Anyway, so the book <laughs> the book satirizes the song Let's All Go to the Lobby as an anti-war song. And the lyrics are let's all join the army. So let's all join the army. Let's all join the yeah. army. Let's all join the army. And kill ourselves some things.
0: Is that, <laughs> was that, it, kill ourselves some things? Yeah. That's pretty great. So I
1: saw that note and I was like, oh boy. And then I started thinking, I was like, what's the deal with that Let's All Go to the Lobby song? You know?
0: Yeah, okay. Because
1: even when... Yeah, I know. Like, go with me on this. I'm going out on a limb. But I was also thinking when you. we were watching this movie, it's such an enjoyable treat. And, like, you know, I had those kind of warm and fuzzies of, like, this is what a real movie is yeah. all about kind of feeling. This is so, why we
0: go to the cinema. Yeah.
1: And even though we're watching it in your your living room, it made me feel like I could have easily seen this in the movie theater. Yeah. So anyway, this, like, Let's All Go to the Lobby thing, let's let's take a quick listen to it.
0: Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. Yeah, so
1: that thing. We all know it, right?
0: Is it telling you to go to the lobby to get your drinks like right before the movie starts?
1: I think it's like, you know, you got a little time beforehand. They want to make sure everybody's all, you know. Is
0: that play before the previews or is that like...
1: Yeah, before the trailers. But anyways, I was looking into like the history of why this happened, right? So, okay, (laughs) when... Nickelodeon theaters back in the day took over the entertainment business from live stage performances now that's not the
0: kids channel that's like the actual oh, yeah. thing like Nickelodeon what Nickelodeon is
1: actually named after which is a thing which it's is basically what exactly like, I think it's like just where people were first starting to see like short films and that okay. kind of stuff so instead of live performance like live burlesque and shit that's where they were starting because it probably to cost yeah. a
0: nickel so it was a exactly. Nickelodeon you get
1: fucking yeah, old school so but, but in these old Nickelodeon theaters they didn't have in-house food service the grand movie theater. Theaters that follow Nickelodeon theaters like the Chinese theater here in Los Angeles, they actually refused to allow independent vendors to sell popcorn and peanuts in the aisles of their theaters because they wanted to separate themselves from the burlesque houses that allowed food inside, you know.
0: Okay. The dirty, so, well, the
1: dirty popcorn littered well, and is it, semen-soaked
0: floors. Burlesque. Well, is the Burlesque, yes. <laughs> it, is... I mean I guess it's more like I my mind goes to a baseball stadium mm-hmm. where like people are selling cracker jacks and everybody's kind of like not really paying attention to what's happening on the field but they're yeah. kind of like ah, let me get a couple of hot dogs over here. Well I think that's what they
1: didn't want though. Exactly. so it's like that they didn't want the to let li- you know the, the li- there's live th- stage performance then mm. there's the burlesque that kind of has it's like you know it's well, subversive quality like, qualities. like so they your w- show
0: like tom gun live like you get it's more of like an audience engagement right. atmosphere so some but shows i totally get to it's, exactly <laughs> whereas like and so some shows like want that and but like a traditional movie theater right. it makes sense to me that they'd be like you know what yeah. we don't need to encourage the that kind of behavior but what's
1: interesting is it's like you know, I'm reading this article and it's saying the 1930s then forced theater owners to rethink the idea of allowing audiences to eat in their theaters because like popcorn was a cheap snack that people were still willing to spend money on during the Mm -hmm. great depression. It even endured rations during the wartime of the forties. Like popcorn has always just been a thing. And so they were like, well, we want people to be happy, right? Like basically you want people in your seats. You might as well at least let outside vendors come in there. So then as these new theaters were being built, they started building like food concessions as being like part of the artist architecture. So from there, then they're like, oh, we got to advertise these concessions. Bring in the snipes, which is, the did snipes? you know, snipes are the things that show before a film. Like, ex- like basically the let's all go to the lobby is called a snipe.
0: Like, like snippet. like with, Wesley, like it's a snippet, but like with <laughs> of Wesley fame. Yeah. Oh, it's too bad you're not talking about this on next week because <laughs> we're about to do demolition. Man.
1: I know. OK, so enter Let's all go to the lobby. Here's where it comes in. This Chicago-based Filmac Trailer Company that specialized in, you know, previews and stuff. They decided to create this short little Let's All Go to the Lobby thing and it was it was animated by Dave Fleischer who was the producer of Popeye. Oh. Is that fucking crazy? It was part of like a like basically a series of Technicolor trailers to get people to buy their little snacks.
0: Well, it's like it's like a dancing cup and a dancing yeah. popcorn, and they're all like happy to go but, out to the lobby. But
1: then it's like, but then why have has everybody heard of this ever from forevermore? And it's because they instead of like renting the rights to show the film, the company just like sold prints of the the film to different theaters, and they could use it however long they want they also don't put any like particular like coca-cola pepsi Cola, whatever because it could be anywhere
0: like right.
1: in the world <laughs> but they basically were just like we want every theater like 80 percent of independent theaters at one point in time have showed that
0: interesting so like that well th- so this all kind of exists before like the four major chains like amc regal and stuff yeah. like that yeah, I think they, yeah they each now have their own like, they have
1: their own thing but even I was I see movies at the the Vista Theater in Los Feliz and yeah. they they keep showing They the still fucking, show the classic. Let's go to the, lobby. Go to the yeah. lobby.
0: That's great. But
1: I think also now we've come so far that it's almost that has its own delightful novelty even though all they're telling you is to like fill yourself with sugary sodas and <laughs> candies.
0: Yeah. Science.
1: Do you have favorite lines?
0: Favorite lines. I really like the line about Bill Paxton hates gambling in the barracks. And one of their lines is like, it's like, why do I hate this gambling? And they're like, because it entertains the notion that our fate is in the hands other than our own. Which I really love that line because it's like... Right. That that way of thinking, that's what we were talking about recently. The astrology element Mm -hmm. and astrology being a dangerous way of thinking because it entertains the notion that our fate is in hands other than our own. Right. And so I really appreciated that this movie is so on theme. Yeah. For what this movie has to say.
1: Yeah, we didn't really talk about a lot of the the philosophical aspects of just because it seems like we've we've talked we've about some that. like of those you know like before, what would yeah. it be like if you knew the future if you could reset the game would you yeah, we, you know like all yeah, of that kind of stuff we've gone into that before also i guess what we didn't really touch on as much is this concept of seeing someone die every single day because yeah. it's like you know it's not just you resetting your life it's like
0: well that's the thing like as he kind of falls in love with emily blunt and as like it gets more and more difficult for him as the movie wears on there comes a point where it's like man Watching somebody that you like love die yeah. every day would really
1: take a toll. Yeah. If 51st dates went like that, <laughs> I would have not had such a delightful romp. I liked there is no courage without fear.
0: I wrote that down I think too. We both
1: we both appreciated that and I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but yeah. is it really courage if you're like I feel nothing?
0: Right. There is no freedom without slavery. Right, it's all these things where it's like you have to have the bad in order for good to exist.
1: Well, yeah, it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Is it's like doesn't courage, by definition, require something that is not like easy or like yeah, yeah, because and safe to do
0: without fear. What are you being courageous? Right,
1: exactly. You know, even if it's not like 100 percent on topic with everything we've talked about, kind of. Yeah, We're talking no. about war.
0: <laughs> what is it good for?
1: <coughs> this was a great movie. I had a great time.
0: Me too. I'm very glad you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks, Tom.
0: So you can find us at Oh That's a Thing on Facebook and Twitter. You can review us on iTunes, please. You can find us at OhThat'sAThing.com. a thing.com.
1: I'm at It's a Joy Amia on Twitter.
0: I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. Let us know what you think. You yeah. Know, anything we missed, anything you disagree with, we would love to hear from you and we will respond.
1: <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. We hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Bye.